Public to private deals are back on the menu. Large funds are hungry to spend and mid-market players are displaying an increasing appetite to invest in these primary opportunities. We'll talk all things P2P today. Numbers, execution risk, due diligence challenges, exit strategies, and more on this new episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to a new episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. I'm Alessia Argentieri and today we'll take a look at public-to-private deals and how the public market has become a hunting ground for private equity firms. To gather some insight on this topic, we got an interview with Christian Hess, private equity client group head at Investec. We'll also look at the latest trends in the public-to-private arena in both the large and mid-market spaces across the UK and the rest of Europe. To help me with that, I've got here with me Unquote Editor Greg Gill. Hello, Greg. Hi, Alessia. Uh, really good to be back on the pod. We also have with us today Head of Data and Research, Julia Longhurst. Hello, Julian. Hi, Alessia. Good to be here. And we have our UK reporter, Catherine Hidalgo. Hello, Kat. Hi, thanks for having me, Alessia. This is a time when valuations are reaching record heights in the private market and increasing volatility and dull performance of public equities, which are affected by Brexit in the UK and further political uncertainty across Europe, have made public companies' valuations more attractive. And private equity firms with an abundance of dry powder to deploy are searching for these public treasures. In 2018, the aggregate value of private equity-led take privates exceeded 50 billion euros, more than double the amount recorded the previous year. And this figure accounted for 20% of the total value across all private equity deals, compared with less than 6% in 2017. There has been very intense activity this year as well, with a flurry of transactions on Euronext and the London Stock Exchange. And this frenzy has moved in tandem with another very prominent trend, the growing size of private equity funds, which have reached, in many cases, multi-billion closes in the 10 to almost $30 billion range. So, Julian, can we recognize a strong correlation here? Yeah, I I certainly think that there is a a correlation between the large funds and and the number of very, very large uh, public to privates that we're seeing. I mean, just since the beginning of 2018, we've seen nine uh, European-focused funds closed with in excess of 10 billion in commitments, as you said. Um, <clears throat> and, and these guys have got to put money to work. So it, it, it sort of stands to reason that they're going to be looking to deploy larger chunks of capital per deal. And then if you look along at the private equity, uh, on the, the public to private side of things, we've got, uh, just since the beginning of 2017, we've got 11 deals with a total value of 2 billion or more, uh, in, in, in that period. And um, so on the deal side, um, in the last, uh, well, actually since the beginning of 2017, we've had uh, 11 private equity public to private deals uh, worth 2 billion euros or more, including some very large ones this year alone. So these, these guys are able to deploy a lot of capital. And it, the, other, the other point that I wanted to make is that it sort of makes sense doing the public to private for other reasons that I'm sure we'll talk about. It makes sense to do public to private at this kind of level because of the economies of scale. Doing smaller public to privates is a disproportionately expensive business that, on, along the fees and the regulatory side of things. So I suppose if you're going to take on a large delisting, then you know, the, the larger the better. Thanks, Julian. 
Zotec privates at the moment are primarily executed by giant funds uh, um, or very large players. However, several market experts, speaking to unquote, have mentioned that the interest for listed assets is slowly spreading to smaller sized funds as well, both in the US and in Europe. Let's take a look in particular at the UK, which is a market that has benefited hugely from this trend. In 2018, more than one quarter of the public offers for UK-based companies were made by private equity firms. And we have seen some very large privates, such as those of Merlin, Lerd and Cobham, just to mention a few. But there has also been some activity at the mid-market level in the UK. So, Kat, you have recently looked into Take Privates specifically with a UK focus. Can you tell us more about this interesting trend? Yeah, for sure. So, Jules, you made a very good point about how large Take Privates might be um, slightly a bit more economical than small ones, but they really have taken off in the UK particularly. So, in 2018, there were uh, two under 300 million. Um, and this year, in 2019, so far, there's been five. So, big increase there. Um, there's a number of drivers for that. So, um, first of all, small companies often feel like they're undervalued. They have a lot of trouble getting an analyst coverage. Um, so it's kind of hard to keep those um, shareholder valuations up. Um, they're also less likely to be as liquid, uh, which means that they've got a more concentrated shareholder base, which definitely means it's, it's easier to take it over the line to get that offer accepted. And also, you may often see that they're uh, more able to benefit from no longer having the administrative burden of being listed. These smaller companies may find it even more difficult to kind of deal with this huge burden, the, the reporting burden that it is to be listed. So there's really a lot of opportunities to um, to create value in these companies, to get them at a lower valuation than you would your huge, you know, plus two billion take privates. There's a lot of opportunity to be, to be had in this area for sure. So I think that's why you're seeing such an increase in UK. The interesting thing for me is that you're not seeing that many in Europe. So in 2019, I only saw two really below 300 million euros. Um, I, I haven't really found out why it's not kind of taking off in the rest of Europe, but it's something to think about for sure. Oh, that's very interesting. Uh, thanks, Kat. And we'll soon continue our chat, but first, let's listen to Christian Hess, a private equity client group head at Investec, who will give us the latest on this rising trend. Thank you very much, Christian, for joining us on our podcast today. Uh, thanks, Alicia, for having me. Um, so we have seen uh, the number of listed companies decline recently, while public-to-private deals across Europe uh, have hit a 10-year high, with private equity firms uh, um, thriving and spreading into the public domain. So what are the main drivers behind this rising trend? I think there's a couple. On the one hand, um, the private uh, market has continuously seen very high valuation levels. It has also seen a lot of competition for assets. So if you ask yourself as a buyer, where do I spend my time profitably, profitably meaning I will actually convert and buy the asset I want to buy, the public markets tends to be one where there's much less competition. Uh, and that, uh, together with potentially not as high valuations, has meant that we've seen a pretty strong drive towards public to private. Okay, and also uh, we recently seen some funds reaching closings in the 15 to 30 billion dollars range. 
Do you think that uh, the public market is becoming the natural hunting ground for these titans? I think what has really changed, not just on these sizes, is that in the past, public to privates, um, big public to privates, have been complicated by the requirement to have three, four, five financial sponsors needing to club together. And I think with those size ranges that you mentioned, um, that there is a much lesser need of that today, even for big transactions. Uh, and that coupled with the fact of the strong interest by LPs to co-invest as well, uh, has meant that you can have the similar size big, you know, 10 billion or so deal just with two hands, which would have been a five-handed deal probably 10 years ago. Okay, that's very interesting. And uh, looking now at the company side, um, can the appeal of being privately owned uh, be a strong driver towards moving outside the public domain, especially when more value can be unlocked by being privately owned? Sometimes the, the public markets just don't really appreciate the potential of a company um, or the operators of the company are um, focused or being focused by the public markets on shorter term quarterly performance. So sometimes the right capex decision, for example, which would have a two, three, four year positive impact does not get done. Um, so from that perspective, um, if you have a company which has both a short, medium, but importantly, a long-term, very good return on investment, that investment over a five-year period can be more easily agreed at board level if you're at the beginning of a five-year private process, then all other things being equal, it, it could be done as a listed company. Okay. And one other thing I wanted to discuss with you was that uh, despite their popularity, uh, public to private deals present several challenges in origination and execution, can be also very costly and complex uh, and can also often fall through uh, without making it to completion. So what are the factors to take into account in order to prevent a fall through? So the flip side of what we said earlier, which is there's probably not as much competition for public to privates as opposed to a private process, is that it's riskier. It's riskier to get to the endpoint. It's riskier for two reasons. Uh, one is that unlike the private market, when a process gets launched, um, a public to private or a listed target, maybe nine out of 10 cases actually is not for sale, but could be for sale if the price was right. Um, so that's one risk that needs to be uh, thought through. The other one is that you need to align a lot of different public shareholders to say yes to your price, uh, and they all have different in prices themselves. So there's a much higher um, requirement to analyze uh, and, and be very thoughtful around what that price is that could become a clearing price that still works for you as the buyer. And uh, now, taking a glance at the coming months, uh, is the number of tech privates likely to increase even further, especially if stocks continue to fall into bear market territory? I would say yes. Um, I would say yes um, for two reasons. Uh, one reason is that um, the supply-demand imbalance um, between private equity money funds having been raised and deployment uh, is a continued imbalance rather than getting into balance and the second i would uh, i would cite is that as long as the financing markets um, are um, as supportive as they have been for a long time now 
including for public to private. Um, that is a good combination together with maybe, you know, an ability to find in the public markets still some undiscovered value um, that in the private equity private form it can be uncovered. We talked about the CapEx cycles before. I would say those three will um, have me expect a continuous uh, good level of activity for public to privates. Fantastic. Uh, thank you very much, Christian. Unfortunately, um, the time has run out, so um, we have to, to say goodbye to Christian. But thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today and for your interesting insights. Thanks for having me. Very interesting insight from Christian. He mentioned, among other things, that despite their allure, private equity take privates can be very challenging and often fall through during origination or execution. So, Greg, what challenges do private equity firms encounter in execution when looking for a takeover bid? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the main point that, that Christian was making is, is around complexity. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of components to that. The main one really is the fact that you're dealing with, as compared to uh, to let's say a bilateral auction, even if that will involve a few parties interested, ultimately it becomes at the end a one-on-one discussion. Um, for a take private, you know, unless you're obviously there's an interesting point made about. For smaller deals, uh, it's slightly more concentrated, so it's slightly easier to get over that hurdle. Um, but especially for larger, larger, larger deals, um, you're dealing with a multitude of potential sellers that you're going to have to, and, it, and then it becomes that adjustment over price. Um, so that, first of all, it's more complex. Uh, it tends to drive the eventual price up uh, and you throw in kind of activist investors in the mix and you've got a right, um, the potential for a right nightmare. Um, also, traditionally, uh, they were done by consortiums of private equity backers, especially at the end, higher end of the market. Now, that's not really what we've been seeing more recently, which again is testament to the fact that the large cap guys have so much firepower that they can now, and the financing that goes with it, they can afford to do these deals on their own. So slightly, that's one kind of uh, challenge that's perhaps slightly less prevalent these days. But traditionally, you would have that need to, you know, not only deal with a multitude of parties on the, on the sell side, but also potentially quite a few parties on the buy side. Um And there's just, uh, you know, more things to go wrong, potentially. Uh, and that is when we get into issues again so dealing with um, activist shareholders potentially uh, dealing with uh, you know even if the board recommends it uh, just not being able to clear that threshold we've had some we've had some examples um, in in recent months in recent years in fact uh, it was in in 2017 I remember a particular spate of uh, of failed bids Um, there's been obviously a number over the years but that one was uh, particularly notable, so in, in Benelux, no, notably, um, so we had the, the takeover offer for Refresco by PAI, that actually, uh, so 1.4 billion um, offer made in 2017 fell through, they had to kind of go back to it with a higher offer, eventually took, the whole thing took more than a year uh, to, to go through and, and became more expensive for PAI as well. Um, you had, um, you know, uh, Scout Twenty Four as well. That that one uh, actually didn't go through at all. That uh, take of the bid by Hellman and Friedman and Blackstone, uh, Stada in twenty seventeen in that region. There's there's been a, a number of high profile examples of, of deal 
that either uh, completely fall through or just take way longer than they should and become more expensive as a result. Um, and that, you know, other issues obviously to do with regulation, with the notably in the UK with the takeover code, is just they are more complex. Not saying that you can't overcome these hurdles, and uh, I'm sure Kat will uh, tell us more about that. Uh, it's just that you've got to bear that in mind. It can be more expensive. It can take way more time. And there's one final element before I let Kat answer on that one as well. There's one final element that I don't think Christian actually touched upon too much, which is the, the transparency requirement, which is all well and good. The problem with that is ultimately a risk to your reputation as a, a privacy investor. Um, the fact that everything is out in the open Everyone will know when you're involved in a, in, in a failed bid, which might not be the case if you're talking about an auction. One-on-one, -on -one, you know, uh, our friends are at Merger Market might do a very good job. And actually, out the fact that you've uh, you've been involved in, in a few failed auctions over the past year or so. But it, for Take Private, it's very, very public by its very nature. And I think that's something to bear in mind as well. And that's something that, you know, you've got to weigh that risk before you go in, while you're doing it. And, and ultimately, even afterwards, when it comes to kind of managing that investment, if you do manage to take it private, um, there's been, again, a, a few high profile examples more around kind of the financial crisis years of, uh, of you know, of these deals massively leveraged, take private. Um, if, if that goes wrong down the line, um, that's potentially some, some reputational risk as well there. Thanks, Greg. That's very interesting. Uh, Kat, what is your take on this? Uh, how can this risk be avoided? Well, there's a lot of a lot of ways that you can um, kind of look at this. But first of all, uh, as Greg mentioned, you open yourself up when you put in a take private bid to um, other bidders getting involved. So you really want to kind of isolate that period once you've given access once you've been given access you want to make that as small as possible which puts a lot of onus on you as a private equity investor to do a lot of outside in due diligence and that's where you kind of kind of want to focus your efforts so you can there's only really so much you can do you can do a lot around commercial due diligence a lot of market research and there's a lot that you can do around that but also when it comes to actually getting into that um, period where you can do your own due diligence inside the company um, then you have a kind of um, onus to, to, to spend a lot of money on your advisory teams because you want to get as many people in there working as fast as you can to limit the time where other contenders can kind of bid. Um, but then you, you kind of have to balance that as well with how much money you spend on your advisory teams because, you know, as Greg said, um, there's a high likelihood that these take privates fail and, and then you're looking at a lot of serious um, busted deal expenses um, you know, I was speaking to some advisors at Jefferies and, and they said that this, you know, their words, they can, it can be very, very annoying. Um, one thing that they did mention, though, is that, you know, these very annoying deal expenses um, probably wouldn't stop you from making a bid. You know, the, the prospect that you would um, that you would lose all this money on advisors, it might not stop you from doing it, but um, still definitely something to think about. Thanks, Kat. Um, another interesting point to discuss is the exit uh, strategy of these companies taken private. Uh, in several recent cases, we have seen that companies taken private had been previously listed on the stock exchange via private equity-backed IPO. For example, this happened with KKR and Telepizza in Spain, Blackstone and Merlin in the UK, and CVC and Halsell in Sweden. So, Julian, what is the exit rationale for these backers? 
it's just something that strikes me that when when you're taking a large company private, I can see the reasons why some of these companies want to go back to being privately owned and to avoid the kind of scrutiny that um, that a public company has from all the various backers. What I don't understand quite so well is the rationale in terms of the, the private equity backers that are taking them back off the market, particularly, as you just said, that some of these were previously listed, taken private, um, maybe relisted again. Maybe they're going to get taken private again. You, you start getting this sort of endless cycle. So it, it was really just a question of mine is that when when someone like uh, Blackstone or Carlisle or Advent goes in and takes a, a large, a multi-billion euro business private, what what are their what are their their thoughts on on their exit? Because they, like every other private equity house, has got a three to five, maybe seven year time frame. And at, at some point. Um, one would assume that one of the obvious choices for their exit route is is actually relisting, but then then again they get caught in by um, by by having the sort of hold periods where they're going to have to end up owning a lot of stock for quite a long time. I suppose yes, that there is the possibility of selling them to very large um, trade buyers, but they would have to be very big businesses. I mean, we're talking about multi-billion euro assets. There's not that many buyers out there for multi-billion euro assets so it was just it was just something that 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 interested me is that when when these the these big buyer houses go in and take companies private what what are they thinking about in terms of their exit route thank you very much uh so uh, i'm afraid that's all the time we have for today thank you very much to my panelists uh, greg julian and kat to our special guest christian hess and most of all to our listeners Keep following us and subscribe to the Encore Private Equity podcast on your favorite platform or continue listening through our website, Encore.com. We've got some very interesting podcasts coming in, in January on carve-outs, fund financing and more. But for the moment, have a wonderful break and see you on the next Encore Private Equity podcast.